Well, Claire and, uh, Claire and Andy, thank you so much for leading us in worship with those two songs this morning and for the way that you've served us in previous weeks as well, providing worship that we've put together ourselves. Well, we live, don't we, in a society that wants us to conform in so many ways, to conform to what they want and to live the way that they want us to live. Do you know, it's estimated that we're exposed to over 5,000 different advertisements every day. And every single one of those advertisements is trying to encourage us to do something or be something or subscribe to something that we otherwise might choose not to subscribe to. Advertisements are there to inform, persuade and remind us how much we need to embrace their products in order that our lives would be better. Of course, the job of the advertisers would be so much easier if we all lived within this Western materialistic and sexualized box of convention, but many of us choose not to. And in a sense, that's the consistent message of the scriptures. They call over and over and over again for Christians to live in the opposite way to the way in which the world might call us to live. Rather than be the same, scripture calls us to be different. Rather than squeeze into the same mould as everybody else, Scripture calls us to break the mould. Rather than simply blend in, Scripture calls us to stand out. Now, of course, we need to be very careful, don't we, that we're standing out for the right reasons as Christians and not for the wrong reasons. But even so, we're called to be those who stand out. And perhaps the clearest uh, call in scripture to stand out is captured in the words of the Apostle Paul to the Christians who were gathered in Rome. Now, these were predominantly Gentile believers and they had a problem which, if I'm really honest, can sometimes be my problem too. Their problem was that they were indistinguishable from the rest of society, despite the fact that they'd come to a living faith in Jesus. And Paul says to them, look, this is not how it's supposed to be. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, then there ought to be fruit in your life which distinguishes you from the maddening crowd. And it's into this context that Paul writes the words that are captured in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and his perfect will. Now, the Chris Brockway translation of these verses, which is not very accurate, says this. If you're a Christian, then don't be a Wally. If you're a Christian, then don't be a Wally. Well, I'll come back to that thought in a moment. The message version of Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is perhaps slightly more accurate than my translation and it really drives the point home. The writer says, take your everyday, ordinary life, things like sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you just fit in without even thinking. Instead, he says, fix your attention on God and then you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. 
Now, what Paul is teaching here is that as followers of Christ, we can't just live life unquestionably fitting in with the rest of the world and yet still expect that God is going to reveal his will or will be able to discern his will for our lives. In Paul says, instead, Paul says, look, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as our minds are transformed, so the whole of our lives will also be transformed with it. In other words, we're to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus from the inside out. And all of that begins with the mind. So how about you? How about me? Has your faith in Christ changed you and transformed you so that others can see a discernible difference? Or are you a Wally? Does my relationship with Jesus cause me to stand out in this world because I'm discernibly different? Or is it possible that some would say of me, Chris, you're being a Wally? You see, the Christian life is fundamentally a changed life. The difference between a Christian and a not yet Christian is a relationship with Jesus. If we claim to believe in Jesus Christ and yet we're seeking to live life the way we want to and not the way he calls us to live, then we need to seriously question why that might be. And I think the story of the Apostle Paul is just brilliant because he models what a distinctly different life looks like as a direct consequence of his relationship with Jesus. Of course, his is quite an extreme example, isn't it? He's come from the very depths of horrible darkness into the light. But I think he's a great example nonetheless. If you were with us online last weekend, you'll recall the context of the scripture reading, which we're returning to again today. Last Sunday, Kay brilliantly challenged us from God's word to stand up and to speak. And this weekend, we hear the challenge to stand out and to serve. And at the point where we join our Bible story today, Paul has already been arrested a number of times. Why? Because he's passionately following Jesus. He was arrested so many times precisely because he stood out from the crowd and because he was discernibly different because of his relationship with Jesus. As we rejoin the story today, we find him in Jerusalem and he's in prison still because a bunch of Jews have stirred up some trouble for him. He's been in prison now a couple of years and effectively he's been forgotten about. They've left him there while they try and work out how on earth they can charge him for something, for anything that might just shut him up about Jesus. What do we learn from the story up to this point? Well, what we learn is that being different because of our relationship with Jesus is not always welcome. Society and dominant cultures don't always respond warmly to those who are a passionate minority. And haven't we seen that reflected in the news in the headlines over recent weeks? And Paul's story up to this point reminds us of that fact too. A new governor, Festus, has taken over from the old governor who was called Felix. And Paul suddenly finds that he has an unexpected audience with, with the king, with King Agrippa. And it's during this unexpected encounter that Paul makes this epic speech, which is the substance of this teaching series for these few weeks. Now, we know about Paul, don't we, that he was never one to miss an opportunity like this. And show, so he shares his testimony even with the king. And he tells King Agrippa about the difference that Jesus has made in his life. Do you remember what Kay said to us last weekend? His testimony was positive, polite, personal and purposeful. 
Well, I think Kay might have swallowed up the Baptist preacher's alliteration handbook. But anyway, it was good. Positive, polite, personal and purposeful. And if you were with us last weekend, you would have heard most of Paul's speech as Kay read it to us. But today we're just going to jump in at verse 12 of Acts 26. At the very beginning of the speech, just in case you missed it, Paul has been going over his backstory of how he once viciously persecuted Christians. He's telling the story of how he once stood out because he was a Jesus hater. But then from verse 12, as you'll hear in a moment, he starts to share how God dramatically brought him into a relationship with Jesus. And then he speaks about the implications of that life journey. Now he stands out not because he was a Jesus hater, but he stands out because he's a lover of Jesus. What an amazing transformation. So here's our reading for this morning, Acts chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 12 through to 19. This is Paul continuing his speech. On one of these journeys, these missionary journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter even than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replies. Now get up and take a stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of all that you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by, sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. My first point this morning from this text is this, as followers of Jesus, we are called not to be a Wally. Now, of course, when I was making reference to Wally's earlier, I was speaking about Wally's with a capital W, the name Wally. Now, most of us in life will have tried completing a Where's Wally challenge, I'm guessing. Just in case you've never seen it, well, first, where have you been all of your life? But just in case you haven't, the idea of Where's Wally is that you have to try and find Wally who's hidden in the picture. The problem is, is that Wally is thoroughly camouflaged in the picture. You can probably see the one on the screen now. It looks a bit like Bournemouth Beach just a few days ago. Not much social distancing going on there. Wally is incredibly hard to find. Why? Because Wally has made a life choice not to stand out. Wally has opted to blend in like a red and white striped chameleon in a red and white striped world. Now, I have to be really honest and confess that there are times in my life too when I've been a Wally when it comes to my faith in Jesus. Too many times I've opted to blend in rather than stand out. Too many times I've opted to retreat to the margins rather than get myself noticed for the sake of Jesus. Too many times I've been embarrassed about my saviour rather than be proud to know that as a Christian I own his name. And the challenge this morning is not to be a wally when it comes to our faith in Jesus. In his speech to King Agrippa, Paul makes it abundantly clear, doesn't he, that he's no Wally. He was willing to stand out for Jesus no matter what the cost might be on his life. 
When you think about the story and, uh, and we go back to it, you realise again that Paul and all the men were travelling um, with him from Jerusalem to Damascus and they see this blinding light from heaven and they were all stopped in their tracks. And as Paul is retelling this story to the king, in verse 15 he says, look, I said this, and I think this is the most brilliant question. Paul says to Jesus, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus replies, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Now stand up on your feet. Because from this moment onward, your job is to stand up and stand out because you're going to be both my servant and my witness. Now, last weekend, Kay helped us think about what it means to stand up to be a witness for Jesus. And this morning, what I want us to do just for a moment is think about what it means to stand out for Jesus uh, as a servant or to serve him. You see, that's the invitation that Jesus gives to Paul at this moment. Stand up as a witness, but to Paul, I want you to stand out as a servant. Verse 16, I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness. Paul is appointed or anointed or called in this moment to be a servant of Jesus. And the call that Paul received on his life is exactly the same call that every single one of us receives on our life too in the moment that we're converted and come into relationship with Jesus. We're saved, yes, but we're also called. Called to be a witness and called to be a servant. As Paul is retelling this story to King Agrippa, I love what it says in verse 19. He says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Paul is saying effectively here, look, Jesus told me to stand up as a witness and he told me to stand out as a servant. And I was not disobedient to that call that came from heaven. Paul listened to the voice of God and he did exactly as God had instructed him to do. And I think that's the secret. That sequence is the secret of being an effective servant of Jesus. We encounter God. We listen to his voice. We're obedient to his call upon our lives. And then we move out to live life as servants of Jesus. Now, it probably goes without saying this morning that we don't all have a dramatic conversion experience like the Apostle Paul did. In fact, my conversion story, when I think about it, was positively dull compared to Paul's, and yet it is no less significant in the economy of God. I remember for years feeling a bit disappointed about how my conversion happened. I kind of just blundered my way into the kingdom of God. And I recall when I first came to faith of feeling slightly envious of people who were saved from a life of uh, crime or addiction or, or from whatever. Our conversion might not have been dramatic, but it's no less significant in the economy of God. And I really sense some of us need to hear that this morning. Many of us will have been raised in Christian homes and might not be able to say that was the date when I came to faith in Christ. A great number of us will have no idea of when we became Christians. But what we do know is that there was a line and at some point we crossed that line from the darkness into the light. For those of us who don't know when our conversion happened, of course, that line was just quite thick and it took a long time for us to cross it. But no matter what our experience of conversion was, we need to remind ourselves this morning that God has changed our hearts, but too, he also calls us into his service. Formerly, we didn't know Christ, but now we do, however imperfectly that might be. And we're invited, we're invited to stand out and we're invited to be a servant of Jesus. 
Formally, even if we manage to maintain an outward veneer of virtue in our pre-Christian lives, we live for ourselves. But now we're invited to stand up and to stand out for Jesus, to live for Christ, not to live for self, but to live for him. Now, our transformation into the likeness of Jesus is a lifelong process of renewal. But as we go on that journey, others should be able to see the distinct difference that there is in our lives from the old person that we were to the new person that we've now become in Jesus. And oftentimes I've discovered that that difference is revealed in our willingness to be a servant for Jesus. All of us should be able to relate to the old preacher who said, I ain't what I want to be and I ain't what I'm going to be, but praise God, I ain't what I used to be. The really important thing to note, I think, for us this morning is that once we've come to Christ, he has a job for us to do. Most of us uh, will not be called like Paul to endure missionary journeys, speaking to the high and mighty in life. Most of us are not going to suffer untold persecution for our faith. But nonetheless, we're still called into service for Jesus. In lots of places in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul refers to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus' family, his friends and his chosen apostles refer to themselves consistently as being his servants. And there's a plain implication of this, and it's this, is that Jesus is Lord if we are his servant. In fact, servant was a favourite term of many New Testament writers when describing themselves. Paul opens up three of his New Testament letters calling himself a servant. Jude opens up his letter identifying himself as a servant. Peter begins his second epistle describing himself as a servant. A servant of Christ knows who is king. A servant of Christ is one who voluntarily sets aside his or her personal rights in order to love, to serve and to obey God through Jesus Christ. Servants of Christ die daily to sin and to fleshy desires. Servants of Christ allow his life to flow in them and through them by the work of his spirit. In summary, we can say that to be a servant of Jesus is to seek his will in all things. Why? Because he is Lord and because he is King. Lots of people I chat to have the misconception that being called by God to be a servant is something that's for missionaries or for pastors or nuns or monks or super Christians or something. But the Bible says that everyone is called to serve God. And in truth, it's less about what we do and it's more about who we are. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia, which come just before he speaks about the discernible difference that Jesus makes in our lives by producing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, uh, etc. These words are from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh Rather serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. And the final thing I want to leave with us this morning is this thought that we're called to stand out and become a servant. Paul is saying something incredibly simple here and yet it's very profound. He's saying we're not saved by serving, but we're saved for serving 
And there's a really significant difference there. No amount of duty or good behaviour can make us right with God. Three really quick insights that are related to this. First, the basis for serving others is salvation. Paul says you were called to be free. In other words, you cannot serve God fully and properly until you've fully been set free by Jesus. Until you come to him first, the Bible is very clear that you're not a servant of Jesus. Instead, actually, you're a servant of sin. Without the freedom of forgiveness, you'll never end up serving uh, for the right reasons. You might end up serving for the approval of others or trying to run away from your pain or trying to remedy some guilt or trying to impress God or something. The most important thing is that we come to faith in Jesus. And when we come to faith in Jesus... We become a servant of Christ because he is our Lord and he is our king. But second, there's another barrier to being an effective servant of Jesus Christ that Paul alludes to here in Galatians. Paul warns in Galatians 5, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Now, probably the number one reason why we fail and we get it wrong as a servant of Jesus Christ and we don't have the time or the energy to serve others is because we're preoccupied with our own agendas, our own dreams and our own pleasures. I know that's true of my own life. And yet into that, Jesus says this, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Words from Mark 8, verse 35. And then thirdly, the thought I have here is this, is about the motive for serving, which can only ever be love. Loving God first, yes, but Paul says that an outworking of our love for God is that we'll also want to serve one another in love. And isn't this just the most important key principle for building community? Paul says exactly the same thing in another place in 1 Corinthians 13, often quoted at weddings, but doesn't need to only be quoted there. Verse 3 of chapter 13 says this, No matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I am bankrupt, says Paul. I'm bankrupt if I do not love others. You see, I think God is far more interested in why we serve than how well we serve as a servant of Christ. God is looking at our hearts. He's looking to see whether we serve willingly and eagerly out of love for Jesus and out of a sense of gratitude of everything that he's done for us. We are most like Jesus when we're serving others. Do you remember these words from John 13? After washing his disciples' feet, Jesus said this, I've given you an example for you to follow. Do as I have done to you. What's so powerful about that account as it's captured is that Jesus volunteered to wash his disciples' feet. They were busy waiting for somebody else to do it, somebody who was lower than they were, but not one of them would volunteer for the task. So Jesus steps into the gap and he fills it. A servant who's like Jesus sees what needs to be done and they just get on and do it. As you read through the Gospels, you discover that the disciples so often struggled with this question of who would be greater in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to them consistently, the greatest would be the one who is a servant. We're never more like Jesus than when we're willing to do the work he shows us to do. And we do it eagerly and we do it sacrificially and we do it faithfully. 
Well, as I said a moment ago, the majority of us are not going to be called to overseas mission, but don't discount the idea that God might be calling you to serve in that way. Very few of us are likely to become nuns or monks or ordained church leaders. Praise God for that. There's already plenty of us. But the vast majority of us are actually going to be called to be servants of Jesus in the ordinary, everyday places of life. And for you, that probably is going to happen in your home, in your workplace, in your social club or wherever you're allowed to go in these times of lockdown. Most of us will be called to be servants of Jesus in our everyday world as we live our everyday lives. And I think there's a challenge for us to stand out for all the right reasons for Jesus as we passionately seek to be a servant of Christ, whatever that looks like for you or for me. But what you can be sure of is that Jesus has a call on your life to serve if he's invited you into relationship with him. You know, the words I long to hear Jesus speak over me one day are the words that he heard at his baptism. Well done. Well done. My good and my faithful servant. Well, as we